In a moment of complete desperation, what do you do? Do you run, hide, curse the situation you're in? Or do you desperately cling to God, knowing he is the only one who can get you through? Well, today I'm talking to Nate and Anna Weber, a couple who have walked through the valley closer to death than any of us would care to be. Their story is shocking, heartfelt, and it will give you a tangible point of reference to see and know that God is a God of miracles. This is an episode that I believe is going to stir up hope deep within you. I pray it causes you to dare to believe that whatever trauma or hardship you're facing, the situation can be redeemed. Let's tune in now to hear the powerful testimony of God's goodness in the lives of my guests, Nate and Anna Weaver. Well, today I have some amazing guests that have a wonderful but hard but very inspiring story. And um, I'm going to be talking to Nate and Anna Weaver. Nate and Anna, thanks so much for coming. Thanks for Our having pleasure. us. You went through a really, really hard time, and you wrote a book about that hard time. So can you tell us a little, rather than me try to intro your story, I thought it'd be better if you talked about your story and just walked us through it. Yeah. So this happened in September of 2016. Nate and I were in our room. Our little year and a half year old son was playing quietly in the living room by himself, which he rarely did. So we were just <laughs> soaking in the quiet and peace for a while. And I was sitting on the bed and all of a sudden I just got the most intense headache that I've ever felt in my entire life. At this point, I was 26 weeks pregnant. So I just thought, this is just another typical pregnancy migraine. Mm-hmm. Um, I also got headaches three to four times a week ever since high school. Never really knew why. So I didn't often tell Nate every time I had a headache because after a while, I just felt like a dripping faucet. Like he, mm-hmm. he doesn't need to be burdened with one more thing. Right. So the whole room was spinning. I just started sweating and it just felt like there was a balloon. And you were home alone. Nate wasn't there. Nate Thankfully, was there. I was in the room with her. I was like five feet away from her when it happened yep. by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. So Anna gets a really bad headache. And um, first went to get some Tylenol just to try to manage the headache. And then it progressively got worse uh, to the point where I called the OB's office. It was, of course, a weekend, so couldn't really do a whole lot there. From there, Anna felt like she had to throw up. So she went into the bathroom and um, threw up into the toilet. And then she basically passed out, I thought, and fell into the corner uh, between the toilet and the wall. And when I pulled her away from the, the wall... Uh, obviously, I knew it was serious, so I called 911 right away, and they had me ask Anna to smile and to lift her arm above her head, and at that point, only half of her mouth smiled, and only mm-hmm. one arm went above her head, and and then at that point, they had an ambulance come right over and rushed over to Holland Hospital. Mm. Anna, had you ever had that type of headache before? You said you had a lot of he- headaches throughout your life. What was different about this headache? Usually migraines or headaches for me started out rather slowly and would progressively get worse. But this one was just so intense and so strong right from the start. It was just like a rubber band had snapped and it was just Mm. pressure suddenly right away. Just the most intense, worst headache I've ever felt in my life. So that's how it was different. And the cool thing was I was feeling these nudges from God that just said, tell Nate, tell Nate that this is serious. And I tried to push that nudge away how many times, 
but this nudge just kept coming back. Tell Nate, tell Nate. So eventually after he did get me Tylenol, then I just said, Nate, this is serious and I'm scared. Something's seriously wrong here. So that gave Nate the indication that this was a different migraine than I've ever experienced before. Mm -hmm. So then I was rushed to the hospital and they did a CT scan and they found that I had a severe ruptured brain aneurysm. Um, and then because of the severity of it and being 26 weeks pregnant, they rushed us to a hospital closer where they could handle that sort of yep, emergency. The spectrum of Grand Rapids. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Nate, you must've been beside yourself. I was completely beside myself. I, I mean, I remember, so I wasn't allowed to ride the ambulance um, with Anna. So I followed in my car behind. I can picture it like it was yesterday, even though it was mm -hmm. over six years ago. And um, yeah, like you said, being beside myself. And I remember being in the hospital room and the, the doctor came in after they had given Anna a CT scan. And I remember him throwing out the word aneurysm. And mm -hmm. I was like, what? Isn't that for like elderly people or unhealthy mm -hmm. people or something like that? Mm -hmm. And the first question they asked was, is your wife a heavy smoker or a drinker? And I was like, no, none of those things. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, I remember just being floored with even hearing that word. Mm -hmm. So what did you do with your baby at home? Yeah. So I immediately texted my family and said, something's wrong with Anna. Um, please pray. Sorry, the emotions uh, come back pretty quickly. Um, oh, of course. Talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I immediately texted our family uh, that something was wrong with Anna and to pray. Um, and uh, my parents came right over and uh, picked up our son, Declan, um, who's now eight, and took care of him. And then my parents and Anna's parents uh, watched our son while we were in the hospital for 18 days. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful to have family around, people that just sort of show up. It is. So you went into the emergency room you have a ruptured aneurysm and you're lying in the ER and then what? So then they bring us to Spectrum Health and from there, they asked me a series of four questions every 10 minutes or so. Uh, what month is it? Where are you? Um, who's the president? And for the first few hours, I was nailing these questions. So, so far the aneurysm was not affecting my cognitive or physical abilities or whatever. Um, but after a few hours, then they came in and they said, who is the president? And I said, Applecrisp. And they mm -hmm. said, where are you now? And I said, something totally off. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why they do those questions to see if and when this starts happening. So they knew that they had to do something quickly. So from that point, they decided to drill a hole in the top of my skull and insert a drain to help relieve that pressure and kind of get rid of the building fluid and blood that was inside my brain now. It's a pretty gruesome procedure. Nate, you weren't, we, did you know what was going on with her, Nate, when, when they had to do that with Anna? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was in the hospital the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I was, I was right by her side when all of this happened and the decisions were made. And the neat thing though, was that our, our neurosurgeon, uh, Dr. Justin Singer, He's about the same age I am, um, and his wife was also pregnant at the same time, about the same far along in her pregnancy. So as he was making decisions for Anna, um, he was talking all of those through with me, and he was coming at it from the perspective of, if this were my wife, this is what I would do. And it sure gave me a whole lot of peace of mind. Yeah, it sure does, doesn't it? When they make it you know, so personal and go, I get what you're going through. So then you had the, the drain put in. I assume it wasn't a blood clot that was thrown. It broke and it was bleeding. 
all over the place. When you had to, the drain put in, did they put you in the intensive care unit then? I was in the ICU. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, just another, we saw God work and God's presence in literally every single area throughout our whole entire journey. But one of the amazing things was from me lying on the bathroom floor up until after brain surgery, I remember none of it. I was, whether I was unconscious, blacked out, whatever. Um, But I'm so thankful for that because I know how detrimental stress can be to a developing baby. And the fact that I didn't need to worry about who had Declan or how my family was doing, or even the simple thing of needing to shave part of my head, you know, for brain surgery. I didn't need to worry about any of that. Mm -hmm. So when did you wake up? Yep. The first thing that I remember is after brain surgery, Nate came into the room and um, we just hugged and kissed and we were just laughing together. Like, did this all really just happen? Did I, Mm -hmm. did I really just have brain surgery? (laughs) So you're laughing. Are we dreaming right now? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And the amazing thing throughout this, you know, as we've been thinking over the whole situation and and how God was present, um, we just had a peace the whole time. And obviously it was very stressful and a situation that I would not recommend anyone get into, Mm -hmm. but um, there was a peace there too. And, and Anna's just my best friend. So, you know, when she was out of brain surgery, it went well. I remember being in the room and, and just joking, you just had brain surgery. And <laughs> right. Right. before this happened, we had just watched a Michigan football game. It was a beautiful, sunny, 75 degree Saturday afternoon. It went from that to next time we really talked was she was out of brain surgery. You know, isn't it amazing? In just the snap of the fingers, your your life goes from wonderful to horrible and you don't know what's going to happen. And I think, you know, my husband's had some medical problems too. And as a spouse um, who's healthy, it's terrifying because your mind goes through Mm. all of this stuff. So Anna, you couldn't remember anything, but Nate probably remembers you saying apple crisp. I don't don't know, but you know, and as a spouse, because you're so out of control, there's nothing you can do. Your mind always goes to the worst place. And, you know, it, it just is terrifying. So it really was a real gift to you, Anna, that you didn't have to go through all of that. So you talk about yeah. God's peace. Describe it. Was God's peace, everything's going to be okay, she's going to heal, or was it more, it's going to be okay no matter what? Talk about that peace. So me being human, I like to control things, as we all do. Um, I'm a financial planner, so I'm a planner by nature, looking into the future, controlling variables to get a specific outcome, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of who I am by nature. And immediately, this was out of my control. And I don't think I've ever been in a situation like that before, to be quite honest. Uh, I at least feel that I can control things to a certain degree. And immediately, it was out of my hands. And the only place you can turn as a believer then is faith. And thankfully, that's where I turned right away. And and that's where the peace came from. And it was a peace that God's with me. And whatever the outcome is, you know, it's, as a pastor told me growing up, everything is father filtered and this is father filtered. God knew about this. Um, he's right here with you and whatever the outcome, it's going to be okay. Just by God's grace, we were, like you said, we just had so much peace throughout in the book. We talked about the peace that passes all understanding. We were to such a point that we were like, whether this, the outcome is what we want or whether it's not what we want, whether it ends with me in a wheelchair or whatever, we were so okay with whatever God's will was because we knew that he would be glorified 
in our story and through this situation. And um, we don't say that at all to be, you know, we're so spiritual or holy or whatever, but it was only from God that we could have felt that peace the entire time. And it was interesting outside of the hospital, there were so many people smoking, ironically, outside of a hospital. But I remember thinking if I wasn't a believer and didn't have deep faith, this is when somebody would easily turn to alcohol or drugs. And mm-hmm. I remember feeling that that feeling of not hopelessness, but it's faith or nothing else. That's all I had at that point. Yeah. And I think a lot of people realize that, but they've never been in a situation where you were, where they have to choose. I remember it was so beautiful when we saw the football game a couple of weeks ago, and I don't remember the gentleman's name who got hit in the chest. Demar Hamlin. Stuff. Okay fell on the ground and immediately all of these enormous big football players, boom, on their knees praying. Because when you have a crisis that fast, you either stand there and do nothing or you reflexively turn to God. And to me, that's one of the, it's clear evidence that most people in their heart know there's a God, but a lot of times they're just not willing to see it or acknowledge it or to, to believe until their backs are against the wall. So to me, that was a very beautiful scene. And I think about you guys, it's like, boom, you you, you went to your knees. Um, I mean, not literally, but when you were in a crisis situation like that. So after you got out of the intensive care unit. I, I assume, Ani, you got better and better as you were there. Did you have any complications after the surgery? Yeah. So our neurosurgeon said that often the first three to four days after brain surgery are kind of the honeymoon period. Typically things go pretty smoothly. Around days five through seven, sometimes these storm clouds can come in and they're in the form of, they're called vasospasms. So what these are, they're the constricting of the blood vessels inside of my brain, just due to the draining of the blood. And what happens when vasospasms happen is they, you know, they, the blood vessels constrict. So they turn off blood flow to different areas of the brain. Obviously not a great thing. Dr. Singer said vasospasms actually can cause more damage, more harm than the actual aneurysm itself. So we were obviously praying those away. However, on day six, they did come and they came pretty strong. So I did have to go down to the operating room again to have another procedure called an angiogram. And what that one was is they inserted a catheter into my groin, um, which had a camera on it, I think, right? Mm -hmm. And then that went up through my body, up into my brain, it found where the spasming was happening. And then they were able to apply medication directly to where that spasming was happening. And to add to the complication, so Anna's pregnant, so mm-hmm. she couldn't receive a lot of the normal protocol of treatment. So one of the PAs or doctors put it, were almost flying blind to a certain degree where they had to trust that what they were doing was in the right place. And because they couldn't use the normal, you know, whatever methods that use radiation and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's definitely an element of trust and faith to that too. Yeah. Isn't that extraordinary when you think about it, you know, putting a catheter in and going up into the blood vessels of your brain and shooting in some medication. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's yeah. what they can do now in, in medicine. How did you know you were having vasospasm on it or did you not? Did you feel something different? Were you thinking peculiar things. How did you know that was happening? 
Yeah. So ever since brain surgery, the nurses would have to come in every single hour, day and night, ask me those same four questions and test my physical abilities to see if I was having any deficiencies of any sort. So they ended up doing an ultrasound um, by my neck. And that's how they found that the spasming was happening. I think they did an ultrasound every morning. So then they saw that those numbers were very elevated. Mm -hmm. So that's how they knew they had to do an angiogram. I was, by God's grace, again, I was having absolutely no physical or cognitive deficiencies, which the doctors were just floored by. They said, for as high as your spasming numbers are, this is really amazing that you're Mm -hmm. not having any physical or cognitive deficiencies. So after that angiogram, I was, I think every eight hours, I had to have this medication inserted into my brain drain. And that was by far the most difficult time in the hospital. I'm still in the ICU at this point. And we found out that within 10 minutes after administering this medication, I would just projectile vomit everywhere. So they had to insert this medication every eight hours to help ease that spasming. And just knowing that every eight hours, that same scenario was going to happen, I had to keep my legs still so that that wound wouldn't open up. Mm-hmm. And then I also had to keep my head at a certain level because there is this bag of fluid that had to stay a few inches, you know, underneath my brain. So anytime I wanted to scooch up in bed or adjust in any way, I had to call a nurse. Mm-hmm. So when I'm vomiting, you know, I had nurses holding back my shoulders and other nurses were holding my leg down so I won't reopen that wound. And it was just the most terrible and probably just disheartening time for me. But it was also during that time that Nate shared with me something he had found. It was a story from Malachi 3 that talks about refining us and purifying us like silver. And the story went, you know, how a silversmith, he how he refines and purifies silver is his, he puts it in the very hottest spot of the fire. And the silversmith needs to keep his eyes on that silver for the entire time because if he if it stays in the fire for even a moment too long, you know, that piece of silver will be destroyed. And it was just such a great reminder to me knowing that God has his eyes on me the entire time and he will not let me stay in this fire for even a moment too long. And the awesome challenge to that story was that when the silversmith knows when that piece of silver is done being refined is when he can take it out of the fire and when he can see his own reflection in it. And that was just in the hardest time. That was such a challenge and encouragement to me knowing that, yeah, we're all going to go through that fire, those trials, those hard times. But our goal should be to come out of those trials, out of those hardships, looking more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. Mm -hmm. So that was such an encouragement to me during that hard time. Well, the story just keeps unfolding, and it's very concerning on every level. You know, as a doctor, I understand the magnitude of what Anna's condition was at the time. And let me tell you, It wasn't good. When we come back, you're going to hear more of the shocking details of what the Weavers went through and how beautifully interwoven God was in the whole process. Welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. My guests today are Nate and Anna Weaver, a married couple from Michigan and the parents of three beautiful children. They authored a book called 18 Days of Grace, which details the story they're sharing with me today of how Anna and her baby almost had a fatal ending, but God. 
Let's jump back into my interview with Nate and Anna on today's episode of Parenting Great Kids. When you were in the hospital and throwing up and people are holding you back, were you able to say to yourself at that time, I'm being refined and I'm going to be able to see the reflection? Or was there part of you that goes, I don't really care. I just want this to stop. So, I mean, I think there's a human element and then there's a faith element. Yeah. Did, what were you feeling? I mean, did you go, oh, this is all going to be worth it? Even though this is horrible right now, it's all going to be worth it. What were you thinking oh, at I that time? Oh, I definitely had both of those feelings <laughs> from mm -hmm. one extreme to the other. I was at one point, you know, feeling all convicted and challenged. And the next minute I was just like, why me? This is mm -hmm. just so hard. And this is my butt hurts and my back hurts. And I was on bed rest and, you know, 26 weeks pregnant. And I just wanted to go home and eat apple crisp and mm -hmm. just enjoy fall with my family. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely had both of those both of those emotions for sure. And Nate, I assume you were with her every day watching all of this. What were you going through as you watch your wife go through this horror of getting medication, knowing she's going to get sick, being held down? Um, what was that like? It's just the worst. <laughs> um, as I mm -hmm. mentioned before, Anna and I are just the, the best of friends. And as a husband, um, you want to do whatever you can to take pain away from your spouse or your family and you want to protect them. And knowing that that was coming up, which is heartbreaking to watch, just knowing that that was part of the process. Um, I willingly, you know, helped out as I could. And I was a recipient of a fair amount of that projectile vomit along the way, but um, <laughs> oh, very, is yeah. absolutely heartbreaking to see that happen. Yeah. 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 Now, how was your baby? I mean, you're 26 weeks pregnant, probably 27 weeks after a while. Did they monitor the baby? Yeah, they came in every day. And um, actually, he was doing so well after brain surgery that instead of the scheduled two ultrasounds a day, they took it down to just one and then even less than that. But he was just God just protected him in a little cocoon. And he has absolutely no deficiencies or um, anything from from the whole experience. So we're praising God. We're so thankful. And they, you know, they initially gave Anna a steroid shot or gave, I guess, our son a steroid shot just to rapidly develop his lungs in the event that he'd have to be delivered during, uh, due to trauma during brain surgery. Thankfully, that mm -hmm. wasn't the case. Um, but you should tell the story about your heartbeat. Yeah. So in the midst of brain surgery, they were obviously monitoring me and they were monitoring Hudson. And at one point during the surgery, they couldn't find his heartbeat. And saying those words just breaks my heart. Um but they rushed in an ultrasound machine and they found that the reason they couldn't find his heartbeat was because it was perfectly in sync with mine. So I just think that's one more, one more place where God was just wow. like, I've got you. I've got him. Yep. Don't, don't worry. Mm -hmm. Trust me. Don't worry. But it's hard when yeah. you're pregnant and you have this beautiful, I mean, it's hard enough, even if you don't have any issues to not worry about your unborn baby, but going through something like that, I, yeah. I would have thought every about everything that I'd taken. Yeah. Will it hurt him? Will it hurt him? What well, doesn't, you know, there's nothing you can do about it anyway, because obviously they're going to take good care of you. So when did you go home from the hospital? How many days? 18 days? 18 days. Yep. And it was on, mm -hmm. you should tell the day 12 story, just a place where we saw a miracle, complete miracle. <laughs> yeah. So on day, on day 12, 
one of our pastors came over and actually before that, so on, on day 12, they were hoping to remove the brain drain, we call it from Anna's brain. Um, and, and really first they shut it off to see if Anna's brain can get back to regulating the brain pressure on its own. Um, they kind of test it first. Normally on any given day, the human brain is between a 10 and a 25 as far as that pressure scale goes. There was a monitor you know, showing blood pressure and oxygen level and then the pressure of Anna's brain. Normally it's between a 10 and a 15. And if you'd sneeze or cough or something like that, your brain pressure bumps up to a 20 to 25. And then God's designed our brain to be able to then slowly regulate that pressure back to a normal range. When we initially got into the hospital, Anna's number was up to a 40. So a very elevated pressure. And so mm -hmm. they wanted to test Anna's brain. Um, so they, they had shut the drain off and wanted to see what happened over the course of an hour or two. Um, our pastor at the time um, came to the hospital at, the, at that time, and we there's a art competition called Art Prize downtown Grand Rapids. Um, so we we were out um, walking around and chatting and kind of getting my mind off things after spending some time in prayer together. And as I was walking back into the um, hospital room, one of the nurses caught my attention, and uh, she said, "Hey, just wanted to let you know that that the doctors um, are thinking that first test failed, and so we're gonna we're gonna attempt the test again at some point. But just wanted to let you know." And um, so I went into uh, went into the room um, by Anna's bedside and she was sleeping at the time. And I remember looking at the monitor and watching that number um, of Anna's pressure and it was floating kind of between a 16 and an 18. It didn't go any higher or lower than that, mm -hmm. but just kind of moving up and down. And I haven't, <laughs> I haven't been able to share it's the story okay. without crying yet. So mm -hmm. clearly you're not gonna be the first Good one. for you. I mean, yeah, this is serious trauma. Mm -hmm. So the numbers staying high floated between a 16 and 18. Um, and at that point I just opened my heart up to God. Did you think you were going to lose? No, I, I didn't think I was going to lose on at that point, but the, you know, if, if the brain drain being shut off, wasn't successful, if Anna's drain, if Anna's brain couldn't regulate that pressure, then the alternative option is they insert a shunt between Anna's brain and down into her abdomen under her skin. That's permanent. And obviously not a big fan of that. And I, I had a heart to heart with God and just declared to him that I wanted Anna to be fully healed, 100% um, healed. And um, I've never done this before. It was um, mm -hmm. throughout this experience, I, I learned some lessons on prayer from other people that came in, just experiencing um, their prayers for Anna. And I almost pulled a Gideon. And I, I just, I told God my heart and that I wanted Anna to be fully healed. And I said, if you're going to completely fully heal Anna, I want to see a number 12 on that screen. Mm. So you really, you really gave it to him. Said, okay, come on. I want to see it. Yep. I did. I was, I was at that point. And so I said, I wanted to see the number 12 on that monitor. And within 30 seconds to a minute, that number worked its way down to 12 long enough for me to grab my phone and take a picture. And then it moved back up to between a 16 and an 18. And I just remember being completely floored. Um, the, mm -hmm. and in awe, um, that the creator of the universe was right there in that room with me. And either one of two things happened, either God changed the number on the monitor 
or he changed the pressure in Anna's brain to reflect on the monitor um, right in front of my eyes and, mm-hmm. and I believe directly communicated with me and just floored that the creator of the universe mm-hmm. is also a manual. He's God with us and, and he's, he's right in it with us. Mm-hmm. He is there. And sometimes I think what I've experienced in moments like that, which aren't many for me in life, maybe three in my life, four, is that there's a sense that you know that you know that you know it was God and nobody can take that away from you. I mean, even if you tell it to people and they go, oh, yeah, come on, somebody bumped the monitor. No. Yeah. I know that I know. And so did you get that sense when you saw the 12? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. So how long after that was it that her pressure came down and they were able, to, I assume she doesn't have a shunt. Or do she you have not. a shunt? No, nope. she's fully, okay. completely healed. Yeah. So, um, wow. yeah, after that, then they tested again a number of hours later and then her, her brain was functioning again to regulate that pressure. Yeah. So praise the Lord. And they were able to take it out on day what? Do you remember? Day 15. And then did you have to stay in the hospital for a little bit or they let you just go home? Yeah, four more days in just a normal floor, which was beautiful. Much Mm -hmm. less beeping, much Mm -hmm. less monitors, nurse checks. It was wonderful. I could actually walk. Nobody coming in every every hour. (laughs) Yes. Yep. It was wonderful. Wow. Yep. And then 18 days later, we were able to go home and... Go pick apples and eat apple crisps. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) so good. Apple crisp must have never tasted so yeah. good to either one of yeah. you. Yeah. So yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And, and you mentioned those, those moments of seeing God. And as, as we went through this experience and, and as we look back, there were so many moments of God preparing in advance. Um, one example of that is that a month before this happened, we bought a chest freezer, which stayed in a box in our basement until a week, the Saturday before Anna's aneurysm ruptured. And so I was in the basement. It was open. I hadn't even plugged it in yet. And then Anna has a brain aneurysm rupture. Um, three days later, the meal train started. And all of a sudden, we had a chest freezer overflowing um, mm-hmm. with food. It didn't have a chest freezer before. didn't have room for any of it. But all of a sudden, God wow. gave us you know, a space for his provision. Yeah. Even the tiniest little things, a yep. chest freezer. Yep. He cares about every single detail, yeah. every yeah. detail. And, you know, and it's pretty remarkable. And I think that's one of the biggest things that maybe keeps people from faith on that deep of a level is like, okay, come on. God's going to do maybe big stuff, but not little stuff like that. But he does. Yeah. And that's what's so beautiful, you know, to watch him work. Well, I can tell you as a physician, just hearing your story, it makes me cringe because I've been on the other side of that watching that um, intracranial pressure. And for us, it's pretty nerve wracking. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's scary. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure at some point, even though you were in the hands of really great medical care, because Spectrum's a great hospital, I'm sure at some point your doctor was kind of holding his breath a little bit. Because what you had, I, I don't even need to say it, but was life-threatening. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people die from that. Or yeah. they come out of it with, with significant brain damage. Yeah. yeah. And you not only came, do you have any residual physical problems? No, not one. Nope. 
50% of people who have a brain aneurysm end up passing away. They don't even make it to the hospital. And then from the those that do make it, 75% end up having physical or mental deficiencies from it. So the fact that I have absolutely none, only by the grace of God. It's it's a miracle. I mean, it's, it's probably miracle number 34 that you had yeah. during those 18 yeah. days. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And then, I'm sorry, and then Hudson, when was he born? Yeah, he was born December 30. 2016 mm-hmm. and uh, his he was 10 pounds four ounces mm-hmm. just big a boy. big boy um did you did you have a c-section oh no oh no he came out all two pushes though so i was i was oh. a little bit nervous for the pushing part just knowing during the pushes are am i going to have another right. explosion or whenever right. <laughs> um so right. the fact that even god just allowed him to come out in two pushes was just one more mm-hmm. one more god thing showing up yep. <laughs> Well, that must have, after what you'd been through, that must have felt like a piece of cake. (laughs) I don't have anything stuck in my head. I'm not throwing up. Boom. I got this huge, a ginormous baby out. Wow, that's a big baby. And how is he doing now? How old are your kids? Wonderfully. Yeah, we have an eight-year-old, six-year-old, three-year-old, and our little girl um, is going to be one in a couple weeks. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. That's really <laughs> a you. remarkable, remarkable story. So tell us about your book. Yeah, we God kind of just opened the door for this a year or so after we this whole journey happened. And throughout our whole journey, Nate was posting these Facebook messages. And his Facebook message, so many people just said his faith in these. Um, he was specifically asking for prayer, you know, throughout each day. So each chapter is a different day in the hospital, and it includes those Facebook posts inside the book. Um, and just to be able to look back at that and see his faith and just his love for me, it's so, so cool. God was able to open up so many different doors. Um, People Magazine got a hold of us in Women's World, and we were on the 700 Club. So God just started opening these doors for us, and we were able to make his name great in all of these different magazines. And we were just able to share his love and his healing. And so we just said, wherever God opens a door, we are going to absolutely share what he's done in our lives. And the book was just one more place where we were able to do that. So we wrote the book called 18 Days of Grace, and it, it essentially, the number 18 comes from the number of days that Anna was in the hospital. And um, it, it walks through day by day, um, starting with Facebook posts um, of what we were experiencing, and it goes through from Anna's perspective and my perspective, what was going on and what we saw God doing behind the scenes, and um, just a, a really neat way to share our story. Mm. So it's 18 Days of Grace. Yep. Yes. Did you both write it or did you write it, Nate? Because you probably have a better memory of what was going on, don't you? <laughs> Initially, but Anna's really Anna's a sharp cookie. She kept she kept most of her yeah, really all of all of the memories from that point. Um, so we co-wrote it together. Um, we each kind of split up. Um, Anna shares a, a little snippet from her perspective, and then I share you know a little bit from my perspective, and, and essentially co-wrote the book together. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Anna, do you, has your memory around that time come back or do you still feel that they're sort of blackout times? Like you said, when you went into the hospital and then you went into the ICU and had the drain put in, do you, has any of the memory of that period come back or has it still stayed um, kind of blacked out? It's still stayed blackout, blacked out. I have one memory 
it was after when I was in spectrum, then I remember laying in the hospital bed. No one knew if I was even going to make it at this point. And I remember looking around and I looked over and um, Nate was crying and I looked over my in-laws and my parents and I saw my dad just weeping. So that's the one memory that came back to me. And when I think about that picture, I just think about our heavenly father and how, when I was going through that, it hurt him too. He does not like it when his children are in pain or when we're going through hard times, but just seeing that picture and just being reminded that our heavenly father, even in those hard times, he will never leave us or forsake us. And his heart breaks along with ours when we go through those hard times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that remarkable to think about? Yeah. Cause a lot of people think, well, why did he do it? Why do you allow it? But you know, life is life and Christ is with us every step of the way and he hurts and there's so much we don't understand, but that's okay. Yep. As, mm-hmm. as long as we know that he's there and he's going to make some, I don't know some sense of it, but like you were saying, Nate, that he can bring peace, even though you don't know how it's going to end, mm-hmm. but there's peace even in the midst of it. This has been an incredible interview. My guests have been Nate and Anna Weber and their book is 18 Days of Grace. Where can people find your book? It is on Amazon. I saw it on Walmart. <laughs> yep, you can find um, it online through Amazon or Walmart, um, or you can go directly through our website, which is 18daysofgrace.com. Well, I strongly recommend that everybody go out and buy a copy because it's an extraordinary story, not just of what you guys went through, but how God showed up. I know God, God is always there. But sometimes when the situation is like that, you know he's really there. It's that know that you know that you know. Well, I'm sorry for what you went through. I personally am blessed to hear your story. And I know it's going to be a blessing to so many other people. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's our pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Friends, more than I want this podcast to be merely entertainment for you. My prayer is that it leaves a positive impact on your life. Nate and Anna's story is a powerful reminder that God is good. God is present and he can and does intervene in our lives. If you're in need of a miracle, I pray this conversation from today was hope filled to boost your spirit as you continue to struggle with your need. Now on to my points to ponder. One. When horror hits, drop to your knees. As we live our daily lives, we have the belief that if we're strong enough, if we have the right emotional fortitude that we'll survive. But that's before tragedy hits. Once it hits us between the eyes, we suddenly realize how little we can do to get through. And that's when we're at the end of our capabilities. We drop to our knees because God is the only one we know to turn to. Two, lean on your spouse. Don't turn away from one another. You know, pain in parenting can turn parents away from one another or closer together. Even if there's tension between you, move toward your spouse, not away. You are the ones who live with your child the most. You are the ones who can lift one another up most. So pull together, even if it's hard. It might be the difference between getting through or collapsing. Three, 
ask for help. If you have friends or family, reach out. Don't hide your troubles. It's tempting to do, but don't do it. You need help. So identify those around you who will move in and give you sincere help. There are more friends and loved ones than you realize who are in your world and would love the opportunity to help in any way they can. So ask for specific help, prayers, help with kids, or ask for help from an ailing parent you've been caring for. I want to thank my very special guests today, Nate and Anna Weaver. You can learn more about the Weavers and their story by following their Facebook page, 18 Days of Grace. And you can also find their book on Amazon. It's very inspirational, and I strongly encourage you to read their book. Now, let's recap my points to ponder. One, when horror hits, drop to your knees. Two, Lean on your spouse. Don't turn away. And three, ask for help. Friends, if you need help or encouragement or answers to any questions about your kids or your relationship with them, go to meekerparenting.com. I have courses, tips, blogs, and more to help you. And if you know a dad who needs encouragement, while you're there, check out my brand new course, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters Masterclass. And always remember, great kids are raised, not born. <laughs>